listening to episode 71 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm Josh Havens. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. So the Advent season is upon us. That means we should be talking about how does Advent fit into a lifestyle of discipleship? Or does it? Or do, it does. <laughs> There's no question. It does. How? <laughs> I guess we alert. could ask. I guess we could ask. Does it first as a good way of introducing the topic and then getting through to it? Because um, for us, we are in a uh, very Protestant tradition, especially Pentecostal n- to be specific. Pentecostal, yeah. So a very new Protestant tradition. <laughs> so you know, the newer the Protestantism, the less liturgical you tend to be, and so. Um, you know, we celebrate the big Christian holidays, like Christmas and Easter, Palm July Sunday, 4th. July 4th, of course. <laughs> exactly. Got to get all the major ones in there. Um, that's a joke for anybody who thinks we're, we're being serious. But um, even more than just celebrating Christmas, uh, you know, we should also be, I think, attentive to the celebration of Advent. And I know many Christians have heard of Advent. Uh, you can't go to Starbucks without, you know, hearing and seeing things about Advent. And if nothing else, you're going to buy that calendar and eat the chocolate in a day or two. Chocolate. It is good chocolate. And so uh, I always like buying them like after because then they're like yeah. super cheap. And yeah. You get a ton of <laughs> you get them on sale and you just get all the chocolate. Exactly. So um, but we should ask, why should Christians celebrate Advent? And then if we should, how does that help us uh, or how does that fit into a lifestyle of discipleship. I think I would reference back long while back, like middle of last year, to our conversation with Winfield Bevins on his book Ever Ancient Ever New. Um honestly, I think that's a great entry into liturgical practices and how we can use liturgical practices, um liturgical rhythms, the calendar to really enhance a lifestyle of discipleship. And I think the best way to describe that is uh, the word that you and I were talking about before the conversation here, rhythms. Yeah. Uh, the, the really, I mean, we know that we have ups and downs in life. We have, I mean, you literally get seasonal affective disorder sometimes depending on the seasons, and it just comes around every year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that certain holidays are coming up. You look forward to the to New Year's Day as the fresh start of things. You look forward to the first days of spring as kind of cleaning and getting things put back in order, ready for the summer. I mean, we have these rhythms that God's built into just our very existence. Night and day. We Night wake up day. during the day. Yeah. We do certain things. We... All of these things are rhythms. Yep. And... Liturgy, I think, is just the recognizing of those rhythms and allowing the way that we live our lifestyle of discipleship uh, to kind of ebb and flow with those rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just so happens that the church for a couple thousand years now has practiced um, certain rhythms on certain during certain times of the year. Yeah. And without going into a lot of detail here, I think it's important to know why the church has done, has practiced these these 
these rhythms of, of celebration and, uh, and and of mourning at, at some points. Good Friday is a, is a day of mourning. Uh, you know, Ash Wednesday, Lent, we give things up. So it's not all just celebration, but these are also days in, in periods of preparation. Yep. Um, but but it all goes back to uh, the Jewish calendar, right? Let, let's not forget the church is not Gentile, it is Jewish. And so I love reading these Old Testament accounts of when these certain festivals and days of celebration come about and why. So you, we read those in the Old Testament sometimes and we... We skip over them because they don't seem all that important, but they are directly related to why we celebrate as the church these liturgical events. And it's because, again, in the Old Testament, it explains this the best. It, it's, it marks, it's a days of remembering. They mark these special occasions so that we can remember what God has done for his people. And these Old Testament feasts were the Old Testament people of Israel's liturgy. Exactly. I mean, you just look at all of those different um, practices that they had, and a lot of times they're accompanied with, when you do this, tell this story to your children. Yep. And it's meant to be something that is is bringing to remembrance the, the things that have happened in their history, and they do that at regular times during the year. Well, and this serves as a way, it's a rhythm, right? That, like Sabbath is a rhythm every week, we take the day off. And why do we do these rhythms? It serves as a branding of who those people are, their identities. So all of this rhythm, all of this liturgical stuff, these celebrations, prep, days of preparation, morning they are ways in which we remember who we are and whose we are. And so as we celebrate the fact that, uh, like, you know, uh, Passover, right? It's really a day of celebrating the fact that we are leaving Egypt. <laughs> and so we, we, you know, the Jews ate unleavened bread. Why? Because they didn't have time to let the flour rise. And so by eating that unleavened bread, they remember there wasn't time to prepare. God moved and we had to go immediately. And so all of these other biblical themes sort of start getting wrapped up with these days of celebration. And so it's why you you continue to eat the unleavened bread because it becomes a rhythm of remembering. And so uh, all of the stuff that we do, even in Advent, is all about identity, who we are and and whose we are as children of God. So that's why we're celebrating uh, you know, these liturgical events. And so if you're like me, I didn't grow up celebrating, you know, certainly would have used the word like liturgy. And I don't think we have to get put off uh, by that word either. Uh, we, you know, I, I love you referenced uh, Winfield, Winfield Bevan's book. That's a, <laughs> that's a tough one to say. <laughs> that's, a, that's a possessive S on the end. Anyway, um, his book on liturgy, and I have found getting into it to be a, you know, it's been a, a life-giving resource for me over the past uh, few years. Um, I am in no way, though, a liturgical member or, or a member of a liturgical <laughs> church or, you know, I wouldn't call myself an, an avid practitioner yeah. or anything yeah. like that. But I do, but we've interacted with enough guests on the show that leads me to believe that there is something vital and valuable here for our lives to at least incorporate in some small way. Yeah. And just a little bit of background. I've got a little more exposure to it. Uh, my parents were both raised Lutheran. And so that kind of was a, a part of my childhood. Um, 
I would say that I've, I'm fairly open to, to liturgical practices. In fact, my parents even in, uh, incorporated some of those into the way that they raised us. And uh, so yeah, just side note on, ba- yeah. on background there between, well, between yeah, you and me. So my, my mom was raised Catholic, and so I think that's probably why we didn't do all of those things. Just as a, a move against it? Yeah, she was saved out of Catholicism. And that's not to say anything against Catholic, but that's how they would have described it yeah. in her family. Um, because when my mom, so my mom got saved, it was kind of a funny story, right? She she was attending a Pentecostal AG church or whatever. And so, you know, the altar call uh, happens. She goes down, she gives her life to the Lord. She comes, she's super excited, like your typical. Mm-hmm. So she goes home, mama, 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 I got saved. And, and my grandmother's response to her is, oh, honey, we don't get saved. <laughs> <laughs> And so, um, wow. yeah, so it, it, again, and, and my mom got to see, like, look, look, every church and every tradition has its, it has its problems. And so, uh, my mom saw a lot of the, the problems that were going on in the, in the Catholic church. And my mom was very devout Christian and, and had a closeness and an intimacy with God that is not often, uh, allowed for within Catholicism because you have, you know, you don't talk to God, you talk to your priest and your priest has, mm-hmm. you know, the direct, so all of that sort of stuff is again, what she and her family, uh, were sort of reacting against. And so anyway, so that's probably why we didn't do any of it. <laughs> mm. uh, and so anyway, just, I am the same boat that you are now though, as, as we've talked to more people about liturgy and liturgical practices and their value for lifestyle of discipleship, I'm becoming to, uh, way more open, and, and I value them more now. In fact, I look forward to uh, some of them more now than even I did as a kid. Yeah. Um, when I, sp- I think it's, it's especially valuable once you realize what is behind them, like the meaning of why you would do it, right? Because, again, there's— Growing up, there's that vision in my head that that's just what boring, stodgy churches that are dying do. They don't. <laughs> I'm gonna say this from a Pentecostal, yeah, naive Pentecostal perspective. <laughs> they don't have the spirit to actually move them in the moment. They have to rely on that stuff. Exactly. It, no, it, that's literally the the kind of stuff that's said. Which which is a fun note that more and more. Pentecostals, especially millennials, are embracing these liturgical traditions. Again, that was part of what Winfield Bevan's book was about, was that uh, there has been a movement back towards liturgy uh, over the last like decade. And so this is becoming a vital part of people's spirituality, and I think it is encompassed with how we began this conversation with it, which is uh, rhythm. Yeah. And so much so that A.J. Sherrill, in his book, we talked with him a few weeks back, on the Enneagram talks about different liturgical events being a, a vital part of each Enneagram type uh, of spiritual discipline to build into um, f- for their uh, for their own personal health. And so some types do better with like again Advent the that joy and and that uh, that anticipation for Christ's coming. And so um, others do better with, uh, you know, Good Friday, remembering the the tragedy and with the mourning and others do better with, uh, you know, rejoicing in in um, Easter and in, in the resurrection. And so it's not that we only celebrate the few that, but there are certain types that benefit they, they more. They mean more to you in a way that like you get more meaning out of them than than I think some of the others do. Yeah, they're better for your soul care. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, so if you're the kind of person that really needs Advent, and we all do, but maybe you really need it, 
then pay attention because we're going to talk about it. <laughs> if you yeah. haven't picked that up yet. I, I would argue, though, that especially, I mean, this year being 2020, th- yes. it being what it is, um, looking back, like we're getting ready to do here in a minute, looking back at the way the people of God were anticipating a Messiah, freedom from their suffering, freedom from oppression, all of these different things, they were looking forward to something coming they were looking expectantly with hope if that doesn't describe the way that you should you're feeling right now about life in 2020 then you have probably experienced a different 2020 than i have (laughs) yeah where have you been living (laughs) and so it's a it's a great opportunity to look at what what your life is like now and maybe empathize or or Put yourself in the shoes of somebody who's looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. Absolutely. And reading the the Old Testament accounts is a great opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. No, so just right off the bat, if you haven't picked it up yet, Advent means coming. <laughs> so that's what we're celebrating, the coming, uh, the coming of God. And so I think you just summarized, we could almost end the podcast, I think, because you, you said it, <laughs> you summarized it so, so beautifully. Um I do think, though, yeah, looking at this year with that kind of expectancy is is particular because there's so many reasons that this thing can uh, up- apply, right? I mean, we just went through an election that's that's still throwing the United States all over the place, and people are either super happy or super disappointed. And we had that great conversation with with uh, Dr. Snavely, right? And again, Advent brings all of that stuff back into perspective that this is not the the point. We can. We, there is an even more important uh, expectant hope that we're looking forward to. And so this is a great time of year to realign ourselves, realign our hearts, and really enter into this liturgical calendar that's going to, you know, pull us all the way through the rest of the next year until Advent again. And so mm-hmm. um, anyway, I think Advent's a great time to jump into this thing if you haven't. So Advent, the coming expectation what are we supposed to be expecting you just summarized it but let's dig into it a little bit deeper because i think there are a, a few particulars that we can we can really get value from as we're going through this um i will go ahead and call out i think a great resource now this isn't the most liturgical minded resource so like if if you're trying to look at a certain like the anglican or the lutheran tradition catholic tradition um I don't think that's necessarily what we're going to advocate here in in this episode, although certainly not discouraging those. And so I I think you guys should go and check them out. They're worth looking into. Um, I think for our purposes, though, maybe just a general approach to what this season represents. And then because I again, for me, if this would been made more accessible and available I would have been much more likely to get into it. So I think that should, you know, I think that's what we want to do here with this podcast is to make it as accessible as possible. And so this book called Rejoice Advent in All the Scriptures, it was written by um, these reflections written by John Stott, a great theologian uh, of the church, and then commented in in prayers written by 
uh, Christopher Wright, who's a great theologian and scholar who we want to have on this podcast uh, eventually. So he will be coming soon. Um, but so he, he follows up with this book and it's really a great book to sort of introduce you to a lot of these big, the big themes and what's going on when we're looking at this expectant nature of God coming to be with us. And by the way, I think this follows up great with our last podcast where we were talking about what scripture is. So we're going to be covering a a few of these things, not as in much detail. I want to break down though. He begins, uh, the book with talking about seven acts in history. Um, one of our friends, Kevin Folk kind of brought this up or, or mentioned it. And you'll see this theme in biblical theology, and, and again, I think that's important. That's an important lesson to look at when we're looking at this season, Advent season, is it's not just talking about, you know, looking at the little baby Jesus coming in the manger and putting up the, you know, the nativity scene. That's where this season culminates, but that's not where it begins. And so really the Advent season is a call for us to look back to the very beginning of creation history because that's really where this expectation for God coming to be with us in Emmanuel begins. Basically, if your hope is, or if your focus is on the baby being born, yeah, and you don't even recognize why that has to happen, the meaning of it, the significance of it, hey, what's the point? Yeah, and so it's really just a focusing back on why it is that we are looking for a Messiah. Exactly. Exactly. So I'll just break down these acts real quick in a non-dramatic fashion, and then we can talk about them a little bit, I suppose. <laughs> non-dramatic. <laughs> well, part of, you know, you know me, I think if you've been listening, I like to be dramatic about stuff. So I kind of want to do like a dramatic retelling of the whole events of history, and we're not going to do that. But so act number one is essentially, it's, it's creation. That's when God creates the heavens and the earth, and he puts mankind in it. Everything is good. God looks at it and says, this is good. Act two, though, is when that goodness turns to folly because humanity rebels against God, and then that's when sin enters into the world. Dun, dun, dun. See, dramatic. <laughs> Act number three is when we get into the Old Testament and God begins to make promises to his people. This is when, uh, see, I'm gonna, I can't help myself because I'm really passionate about Genesis especially <laughs> and then like the first 11 chapters because that shows the folly of just human sin getting worse and worse and worse from chapters three to through chapter 11. And then chapter 12, this is when the Old Testament promises really start to kick in. We see humanity trying to do everything their own way to become God, to get back what they had lost in the garden and to to be God, to master their own destiny, all that sort of stuff. And instead God says, okay, that's what you guys tried. Instead, I'm going to choose this random dude, Abraham, and I'm going to bless him for no other reason than I said so. And then that person, that people, I'm going to take that person, turn him into a nation, and through that nation, I'm going to save the world. And everybody's going to be blessed through that. Like, dun, dun, dun. So that's a huge, <laughs> this, this is the announcement. So again, if you've ever read like the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's what's happening. Is <laughs> all of this announcement of saying, yeah. And by the way, and you read it, and they try to screw it up. By trying all to help. All the time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And God's promises continue to be faithful. So you get all these Old Testament promises all the way through David and, you know, anyway. All the prophets. All the everything. prophets. They all testify to God trying to do, promising to fix this problem of sin. 
Act number four then becomes Christ arriving on the scene as the fulfillment of all of those promises. So that's why Jesus comes and says, all of the scriptures are fulfilled in me. They were talking about me. Here I am. And again, a very unexpected, un <laughs> like not even what you would have thought way of doing things. Absolutely. Just because God can. Yeah. And and again, that becomes <laughs> that becomes part of what it means. Uh, you know, we would say to create a lifestyle of discipleship is to follow this particular way that God does things. He does things in the most uh, unassuming power under for, yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> so that's Act Four. That's where Advent, more specifically, will focus is with this coming of of Christ. But Act Number Five begins the New Testament mission as uh, Christ ascends and he sends out his church to make disciples of all nations. And so uh, that is squarely where we are at in this story. We are in Act. Five, if you're following the act, the seven act, some people do different acts. So, you know, anyway. But I like I like the seven; they're pretty good. Act number six then becomes the the final judgment. This is when uh, Christ returns and he begins to do all of the judgments, and those who have followed him will be welcomed in, and then those who haven't will get exactly what they have asked for, and that's personal freedom. And what that looks like, again, we all think that, that you know we. We normally think that means that's when people get cast into hell. Um, that can represent a lot of negative things for people. Again, that's not what this podcast is trying to deal with, but maybe we should deal with that in another podcast. Maybe we should. I guess we could just leave it right now and say there are a lot of people who really love God and have put a lot of serious thought into interpreting scriptures about hell and the final judgment and stuff like that, and they come to different conclusions. Yes. So we're going we're gonna to treat that thing with a lot of humility. Yes, I think that's a good, that's a great way of putting it. But all of this finally ends in Act Seven, and that is the redemption of of humanity and creation through the new creation. This is when uh, humans are set back in right relationship with God, and therefore their relationship with each other and with creation is finally set back into its its state of perfection, the way God wanted us to be in relation. And so that's the seven-act drama of Scripture. And this is really what, again, Advent is all about, is looking at and remembering that this story is in motion. And so, again, specifically, we're going to go back and we're going to look at, we're going to remember how God created us, who he created us uh, to be as his children, our rebellion into sin, the promises, the expectations, of a coming Messiah to solve our sin problem, the problem that we are unable to solve, that the law makes abundantly clear to us that we can never be good enough, and yet only God himself through Christ can come and fulfill that law. And therefore, only by following Christ, accepting who he is as our Savior, as King Jesus, are we then uh, uh, welcomed back into right relationship with God as a fulfillment of that law. I think one of my favorite uh, lenses, I'm going to use the word lens, to look through um, at really all of Scripture is the lens of Emmanuel. Mm. Um, Acts 1 and 2, the creation and rebellion, they give us a 
they, they kind of lay the foundation. This is this is the way this is what God set up. This is the kind of the the starting point for things. This is the way humanity has tried to deviate from from that, tried to do their own thing. Uh, but then after that, um, in fact, even in that, uh, we have this theme of Emmanuel. And you see it when God comes down and walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, you see it in the promise uh, to Eve that her offspring would crush the serpent's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, all these promises throughout the Old Testament then <clears throat> are pointing at the God with us. And if you look all the way to the end, spoiler alert, Revelation, mm-hmm. uh, the, one of the closing scenes is an announcement that the dwelling place of God is now with man. Mm-hmm. God's ultimate purpose uh, in all of this, has been to be with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to 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 be with us. He wants to have us around, and the the comings of of God, both the the first and the second, and uh, according to what you look at in this book, all the other advents, the comings of God to interact with humanity, are uh, really just foreshadowing that final. Mm-hmm. Uh, Advent, and so for me, the uh, the rebellion and the and the creation really give us a reason to. It's it's the reason that we have to need the promise that God provides mm-hmm. uh, that He will be with us. And so I like just to follow up because you know you're hitting on the promises here, which I love. And this is one of the things I love about Scripture is that you see these many threads. It's the way our biblical theology professor would always describe it as threads because there's so many of these things that then like weave this awesome tapestry. And you can look at it from so many different angles. You can look at it real close and see an individual thread or you can like step back and see this awesome dramatic picture. And like that's where I love to get sort of lost in. But like the promise to, to me, it was always the action of God that really demonstrated. And once somebody pointed this out to me, it, it changed the way I looked at Emmanuel. But like looking at the tabernacle and then the temple, but the tabernacle in particular, was that was God's first advent to come and be with his people after Adam, right? right? I mean, he would walk with Adam and Eve in the, in the cool of the day, yep. but that's what sin separated. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the the tabernacle becomes the way that God can be the closest he possibly can with his people in this this mobile tent that has to be set up in all these like really precise intricate ways and all that sort of stuff because otherwise you you die if you get into the you know the presence of God and you're unholy and you see the consecration of of the tabernacle and it's then being filled with fire and smoke as God comes down in his very presence comes and and occupies this space and it's like you you see that in the tabernacle the temple and then on the day of the pentecost which again is fire wind filling the people of god the disciples now and it's like this is what it means for god to be with us this is really what scripture is about is Mm. this expectant hope that we have that we can literally live in communion with God. This isn't about following a set of rules so that we can get to heaven and avoid 
fiery damnation. That's like the overly simplified, modernistic, man, selfish centered <laughs> version of the gospel and of this great drama of scripture that we have been told. But when you start to understand it as God literally wants to live in a relationship with you, as as you look at, uh, you know, one of the other great analogies of scripture is, is the relationship between uh, a husband and wife. As you pine for the opposite sex and you, you, you long to be with them and to be known by them, to know them and to be known, like that is the same way in which God looks at you and me and he wants to get to know us. If we can capture that kind of a vision and we understand it and we can begin to reciprocate that relationship back to God, the entire way we start to live out our life with him as disciples changes. Now, it's again, it becomes not about, oh, I got to obey a rule so I don't get sent to hell or make God angry. But what it becomes so freeing is it becomes there is a God that loves me, that wants to live with me and do life with me. And all of the words and phrases that we use to describe that stuff, God wants that for me, with me, with a community. It becomes everything becomes about relationship. Well, then you know what? Living with God doesn't become about, well, one day I'm going to get to heaven and I'll you know get my priorities straightened out. It becomes one day when that culmination happens, like you, t- like you talked about, Josh, and the presence of God dwells amongst man can start right now. I can just in get fact, started on that thing. In a way, started it right now. It has started, exactly. And all you have to do is but enter into that, accept it, because that is what Christ has accomplished for us, uh, you know, on the cross and through all of these other liturgical events. But it starts with, again, so like all of this gets wrapped up in Advent, I think. And it does. It, 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 it's so much more than just, oh, little baby Jesus is coming and we'll put him in the manger. And Yeah, I just want to, I want to articulate the struggle that Chris and I are facing right now because you talked about, you mentioned those threads earlier. Yeah. <laughs> we literally want to go through and pull at every single one of the, like, if we could... It, like if our energy levels would permit it, and yeah. if it wouldn't be weird, we would put out like a 36-hour podcast where we just went straight through and hit every single one of these threads mm-hmm. and walked through how they're all one giant tap. And it's just, I find it fascinating. And yes. I, I do enjoy talking about that. Um, that said, though, Advent is a good way to summarize all of that and get kind of a small glimpse at the... The bigger picture, I think. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is. And, and it, it, yeah, it's a perfect gateway into this whole season and uh, I think liturgical calendar for that reason. So I think in all of this, that, that one snapshot, just, I mean, going back over everything that we've described here with the promises, the creation, rebellion, and all that stuff, looking forward to a Messiah and hope, uh, for me is summed up in what is probably my favorite Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I tend to be a little more melancholic. I'm an introvert. I tend toward looking inside, going down in deep, dark places, and then to a fault, never coming back out of those. And so I tend to look at things on a little more uh, pessimistic 
maybe realistic if if I want to be really <laughs> generous uh, way of, of looking at things. And so for me, this expectant hope of the fulfillment of the promise is a really big thing. And so this cry for Emmanuel to come and be with us, um, to drive back the dark shadows and to um, fulfill his promises uh, is, a, is a really great example of what summarizing the, the stuff that we've talked about so far into Advent really is. And the cool thing, like we mentioned, we have that fulfilled in a way in this fourth act, Christ's coming, the Advent, first Advent. But we also look forward to second Advent, mm-hmm. where he does come. We look forward to the to the seventh act, where everything is put right. Everything is now... Uh, God is God's dwelling place is finally with man, and that is uh, for me one of the reasons that I enjoy Advent. It's a it's a time to pause and remember. I can, in the middle of all of my junk, in the middle of 2020 being what it is, can look forward and know Emmanuel is still coming, mm-hmm. and it guides. Everything that we are to do in this fifth act, it, it, it becomes the reason for why we do what we do. And again, I, I do want to go back to identity on that because, it, it, again, it aligns those things. Like this, this season in particular, we're not usually called to do anything. We're called to, well, I suppose it would be to remember and to look forward. <laughs> yeah. but, but in that in that way, we are called to really remember who we are. And so and then I think everything else starts to flow out of that, that our mission is to bring others into this new kingdom, into this new way of life as we are being as the world is being set right and will be completely set right when Christ returns in his second advent. And so it is our it is it is our call to begin to prepare the hearts of others for that. Which is exactly what John the Baptist did. I mean a lot of the the advent readings are about yep. John the Baptist and the prophets preparing the way for the Lord. Exactly. We're participating in that as well. Amen. And I think like there's no there's no higher calling than that. I mean, we're, we're all called, that's not to say, like, right, that gets misinterpreted. I got to yeah. edit myself because that gets misinterpreted as full-time ministry. That's not it. That's not what living a lifestyle of discipleship is about, is nece- is going into full-time ministry. It is, it, no matter if you're a doctor, a lawyer, or a plumber, or bricklayer, or whatever you are, you are to work in your occupation, in your vocation, proclaiming the coming of the Lord. And that's that's that becomes your lifestyle, your way of life. As you as you, uh, if you're a dentist, as you fix teeth, as you talk to patients, you do so in communion with Christ. He dwells within you. You are a temple of God, and so do that well. So when you hear us say, "We hope that you grow today in the everyday moments of life," that's what we're talking about. That's it. That's <laughs> it. And so uh, I, I, I guess. We, we could keep talking about this, and we're going to have to go into more details if we keep going. I, I just think this would be a great way to, to end it, just to call you, I think, this Advent season to, to one, adhere to it. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to follow a liturgical calendar necessarily. I think it's a good idea. Uh, I'm planning to do it with my children because I think it would be a, a great special time 
to do it with them. We've never done it. And so I, th- I think it would be a great year for that. But if nothing else, I, you know, pick up this book, Rejoice, by uh, John Stott and Christopher Wright. I mean, that might be a good place for you to begin. But if nothing else, I, I set aside some time this year to really focus and remember and, and to allow that expectation to be built up in you. Because that expectation is everything. That's what that's what drives us to to wake up in the morning and uh, and to live our life with Him. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you like what you've heard this week, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast player you use. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.